1: Welcome back, Prospects to Pros on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler. He's Lance Zerline. Lance, how was your Thanksgiving?
2: It was good. It was good. Um, I, I was able to uh, catch up with the family. My family, we went to my mom and dad's house and spent Thanksgiving there. I brought some tape, and I forced my dad to watch Penesul with me. So um, it was fun. We'll do that on, a, on another episode. We can really get into you know, what I saw, what he saw and, and how maybe looking at offensive linemen uh, is a little different for a line coach and what they look for, which, you know, I every time I watch tape with them, I learn a lot. Every time I talk to a coach at a position, I learn a lot. It's always great, I think, to get an evaluators perspective and then a coach's perspective because mm. some coaches, a lot of coaches are not very good evaluators, but knowing what to look for is invaluable. And knowing what they want to look for and and knowing how you know this or that, you know some certain feature with the offensive lineman, for example. Some things have really changed about how they coach the position uh, because of the amount of speed that's in the league. So it's an int- interesting perspective, and when the time is right, we'll really get into that breakdown of Panay Sewell, and and I think I think our listeners will really enjoy kind of some of uh, of his insight.
1: No, I can't wait for that. We, we talked a little bit offline uh, about it and there's, there's so much to get into uh, with that. And so looking forward to that, like you said, we'll be doing that on a, another podcast here coming up. Today, wanted to reflect on uh, first mock draft of the year. You know, we're going to go through it, talk about some of these quarterbacks, the order they come off the board, how early, how many, any surprise names that were included in this mock draft. Uh, you know, which teams were the toughest to figure out Now that we're in December, you know, we're getting to that point where the order, the draft order is really starting to shape up. Uh, We're getting a better sense for the teams that will be picking top five, top ten. And then, you know, also conversely with these players, uh, you know, more guys are opting out and declaring uh, each day and, you know, we're getting a better feel for uh, all the the players that'll be in this pool. So let's just jump into it. So Lance, you saw the mock, uh, you know, you analyzed it after Lawrence at one. uh, Yeah, I think there's no surprise there. Uh, Trevor Lawrence currently slotted to the New York Jets, which I was surprised uh, doing my research. It would be the first time the Jets took a quarterback number one overall since Joe Namath back in the mid-60s. So that was interesting. But after that, that's where it starts to get interesting. Uh, The Jaguars almost eked out a win against the Browns, but they hung on to that loss. They've lost, what, nine, ten in a row now? So they've got a stranglehold on that number two pick. And a little bit of a surprise, I went with Zach Wilson there at number two over Justin Fields, or over Trey Lance. What do you think about that BYU signal caller being the second, not only the second quarterback drafted, just the second pick overall in this scenario? So
2: before I I get into that, I want to reference the fact that Jacksonville has fired Dave Caldwell as general Mm. manager. So there will be a new general manager who will be making this selection, and I think it's... Fairly obvious the pick is going to be a quarterback. What you've done here with Zach Wilson is taken a name and a player who I know you have been on him and and a lot of his throws, and and you, I think, are going to be on to the guy that is going to have some buzz with the scouting community in NFL circles, and that's Zach Wilson. Um, From a size standpoint, he's not the biggest quarterback out there. He's got kind of Derek Carr-type size, but what you have is a very lively arm, a guy who can throw on the move, who can play today's brand of football in terms of extending plays and making either making throws from the pocket or plays outside of the pocket. And I love that you did this because this is something, you know for me, what a mock draft is Dane is it's an exercise in um, contingencies. You don't people get so upset with our mock drafts and because it doesn't align with what the general public thinks is the situation at that particular time when they're reading it. So, when I throw my first mock out there in January, there's a lot of people who are upset about things that I have because I've watched these guys and I know I know where the general consensus is wrong or where there's been groupthink on a player. And so what you've done is you've shortcut you've been able to shortcut that in early December and take a guy who is going to be heavily talked about in Zach Wilson and put him with a good fit in Jacksonville, a team that frankly I don't think they feel like they have to have the Blake Bortles type physically anymore. And Zach Wilson, you know, they had—he's uh, bigger than, you know, he's 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 bigger than uh, Gardner Minshew. And I really, I really love him here. That you've done this this early in the process because once you do that. In mock drafts, a lot of people don't realize it creates a new domino effect for you. And I don't know if you're like this, Dane, but your process. Can you talk about your process? Do you have preconceived notions of what you're going to do at different teams? Or do you let your own board flip what you end up doing at different teams?
1: You know, it's mixed uh, because obviously we're so early in the process that once it gets later in the first round in in a mock draft, you know, it gets to the point where I just want to introduce some new names. And that was the case in this mock, which we'll we'll get to in a little bit. But, you know, talking about at the top, you know, me putting Wilson at number two isn't to get clicks or get headlines. You know, that that wasn't the the purpose. But 100%, I agree with you. The whole point of a mock draft is to lay out scenarios and that's I'm not sitting here and saying Zach Wilson will be the number two quarterback drafted I'm not going to say that Jacksonville absolutely believes that Wilson is better than say Justin Field that's not what I'm saying by this what I'm saying is that it's the same thing I've I've written about when I talked about Zach Wilson in my article on him there will I, I, I firmly believe just talking with people around the league there will be no consensus on quarterbacks two through four in this draft There will be teams that prefer uh, Zach Wilson. I think some guys will prefer Justin Fields. Some will probably even uh, prefer uh, North Dakota State's Trey Lance. I I do think that there will be split opinions around the league. And so uh, not saying that Zach Wilson absolutely will be that second quarterback drafted, but I am saying there will be no consensus and people need to keep an open mind to the possibility uh, uh, someone other than Justin Fields going at number two.
2: Yeah, and uh, that's how it works. I mean, that's how people get it in their mind that it's going to be one way, right? And right. and then until that until that's kind of chipped away at by enough people, they start to let their guards down and and start to be open to other assumptions. Now, I'm not here to tell you that that Fields won't be the second pick and Wilson will be, but what I am going to tell you is that Zach Wilson, up to this point, has generated some buzz, and I think you have to start uh, to to talk about him in the mix of where you want to put him in the quarterback battle, so that's there's no question about that. I think your your number three pick with the Bengals and Panay Sewell is one that makes a lot of sense uh, from a need standpoint, especially in light of Joe Burrow uh, being injured. Panay Sewell Uh, to me could play either tackle spot or guard. I don't think I I just think he's got the type of physical tools to pretty much play anywhere on the offensive line and so I don't think that's much of a reach there. I'm not sure my grade is going to be after I watched him and graded him, I'm not sure my grade is going to be as high as some other people, but I recognize the in, enormous amount of talent despite the fact that we've only had one year to watch him play. So he's still a little, some of the holes in his game are still a little bit of a mystery because we just don't know what that's going to look like. You know, two and three years removed from being just nineteen year years old, and that's all the tape we have on Sewell, and we know that he is one of the great athletes that we've seen at that position. And I think my comp is going to be um, Trent Williams because he's got some of that same get on your tail very quickly, like Trent Williams had coming out.
1: I agree with that, and I don't want to get too far down this Sewell road, uh, but I did. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Where would he rank among the big four tackles last year for yeah. you? Because I was trying to think about this when I was putting this together. I was I love Jedrick Wills. He was my top guy last year. Tristan Wirfs was right behind him for me, and then I had Becton uh, pretty close uh, as number three. And I'm thinking about okay, well, where would Sewell fit in that for me? I, I think he'd be kind of maybe right behind Beckton or right very close to Beckton and just on my grading scale. So. I mean, even though he is the top tackle, he might be the first non-quarterback drafted this year. He, in last year's class, just in my own personal grades, he would have been the third or fourth offensive tackle at his own position. So it's really interesting. How, how do how do you look at that?
2: To me, the the clear cut winner was Jedrick Wills. Second, mm-hmm. I put uh, Becton. And then I had Andrew Thomas, and I gave them a high six fours, which are first-round grades on Andrew Thomas and uh, and Tristan Wirfs. I had them neck and neck. And, and, you know, to me, I feel like Tristan Wirfs, based on the tape, is below – I'm sorry, uh, Panay Sewell, based on your strengths, your weaknesses, and what you project from those strengths and weaknesses, I had him just below Tristan Wirfs. So at like a 6.47, now I could say 6.5, and in my grading scale, a 6.5 is kind of a boom-bust prospect who has flashes of being a, 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 an elite player. and But the bust stuff comes from a little bit of lack of edge strength and and you know basically just having one year of uh, he came into school out of high school he was 40 pounds heavier so you know you could you could talk about that you could talk about what's his maturity level coming out you know some things about football makeup for a young player that is going to be a concern for any young player coming out so that that creates a little bit more bust because he only had one year at school you only have one year of tape and um, so I, I could end up with a 6.5 on him, which is really more of a volatile grade, but I think when it's all said and done, I'm going to hang a, a 6.47 to 6.49 somewhere in there. And of course, during the combine and and pro day workouts, and after talking to some personnel people, um, uh, that could certainly change higher or even a little lower, but I don't think he's leaving a 6.4 range. I mean, if anything, he could go up into the 6.7 range. I jump, I don't have a 6.6, 6. but what I'm telling you is that, I think he's right. I would not have put him ahead of Becton, and I would not put him ahead of Jedrick Wills, but I do think he's right there with Andrew Thomas coming out. And and Andrew's a guy who just got guys blocked. Panay Sewell's a guy who can do – he has that rare walk-the-earth talent where only a few men who walk the earth have the size and athletic ability that he has. Um but then Worf's to me was a little mechanical, but there wasn't a lot of holes in his game as long as he got coached up because physically there just aren't many holes in Tristan Worf's game. Like you just can't find he has the ability to do just about everything. So I'm with you, Dane. He's right there. And to me, he would have been somewhere three, four, five with the big four last year. And that's and that's saying something because that was a special class.
1: Yeah, it really was. Um and I think it leads us to this next discussion on this mock, which is just the fact that we know that it's a a very quarterback heavy group this year. Um, You know, we could have four quarterbacks going to top 10, top 12 picks. But in terms of the non quarterbacks, I just we don't have those, quote unquote, elite guys this year. Uh, at least in my opinion, and uh, I'll be eager to see how uh, you see it. But when I'm laying out this mock, okay, you got Lawrence one, Wilson two, the Bengals, and, and I didn't do any trades, just, you know, it's too early to be projecting trades right now. Uh, Bengals at Sewell at number three, and then the Cowboys and the Chargers four and five. That's where it gets interesting. Neither of those teams are taking a quarterback. Uh, Obviously the Chargers aren't with Justin Herbert and, I love you Cowboys fans, but those of you telling me they're taking a quarterback that Jerry won't pass, I promise you he will pass. Uh, he's He loves Dak more than the potential of a Justin Fields. I, I can promise you that. So at number four and five, that's where it gets interesting because I, I think that Penny Sewell, I don't think, I think Dallas would absolutely take Pene Sewell. I don't think sure. Sewell will drop below uh, Dallas. I, I, I feel pretty confident about that. But Sewell's off the board in this scenario. So where does Dallas go at number four? You know, I I think Jamar Chase, to me, is also in that group with Sewell in terms of the best non-quarterbacks in this draft. The Cowboys aren't taking uh, another wide receiver there. If they can't trade out of that spot at four, what direction do they go then? Uh, It it made it really tough. Micah Parsons is, is a good player, but... I just, I don't know if you're taking an off-ball linebacker at number four overall. Uh, I don't know that any of these pass rushers really warrant top five consideration. Even though I don't know that these corners are, you know, legit top five guys, you know, you run out of options. So I went with Caleb Farley, uh, Virginia Tech corner to Dallas number four. I I don't know that he's, you know, worthy of being the number four player in this draft or in, in any draft, generally speaking, but in this draft, it just might be how it works out.
2: I think Sertan is a guy that could also and um, we'll get to him in a yep. second. Yep. I could absolutely five. see I could absolutely see cornerback at this spot if you feel like you have one graded highly enough. You know, you just you really just don't have enough tape on Gregory Rousseau to to put him this high. Uh, and I know they've thrown a lot of players back in the mix like Alden Smith and they've had Randy Gregory forever and they're hoping to, they need rush. They could really use Michael Parsons. Sean Lee, you got one linebacker who has tremendous talent in in Van Esch who gets hurt. Sean Lee is just the injury stuff is you know, Michael Parsons would fit them great. Once again, do you do you put him at four? What I think the Cowboys have to consider doing is finding a trade partner and moving back. And I know we're very early in the process to be talking about this, but when you look at their needs, there's going to be teams who want quarterback there. Um, There are going to be teams who covet Jamar chase. And because of the quarterback thing, uh, I think if you move, if you're Dallas, you're going to have a willing partner who is looking to move up and potentially take uh, a, a quarterback. And so I think they may find an ability to move back and still address cornerback. I know later in the draft you've got uh, Darian Kendrick from Clemson is a guy that, that's got that's got a lot of talent as well. So I think you can find a cornerback in the draft. I would, I would rather move back. Now I'm going to throw a name in here that you don't have until later in your mock, but a guy who I think extraordinarily highly of. And we talked about him before, and that's Slater out of Northwestern. To me... Slater is a dog. Now he is tough. He's very strong. Uh, we've seen him play tackle. He has sub thirty-three inch arms, so he's not the physical. Uh, he doesn't have the physical traits of it. But then when you watch him play, he just doesn't get beat into his chest very often because he's kind of smart with his hands. So, and I think there's no question he could play guard. If you're the Dallas Cowboys, you could do a lot worse at upgrading your offensive line, especially that left uh, or right guard position. With, with Rashawn Slater. So he's working out in, Dal- in the Dallas area with uh, Duke Manningweather. So, you know, he's right around the corner. I, I just think uh, Slater's a guy who is going to really start to move up the charts as NFL evaluators, their opinions and, and scouts and coaches. As it starts to bubble to the top, you're going to find out that these guys love Slater. And I think he's going to keep moving up the draft board. And And four is early for me for a guard Uh, And I do think he's a potential guard, but I'm just telling you, I think he's also a great fit for Dallas if they want to look to trade back.
1: Absolutely. Well, and one of the reasons why he's such a fit is the versatility. Like, like you mentioned, he could play tackle, he could play guard. He told me that he's working out as a center. Uh, yeah, can with snap Duke, with Duke right now. So he has legitimate position flex. And you know, we it, it, that that term gets thrown around a lot for offensive linemen. Not all of them really have that versatility to just step in at another position. But I do think. Slater does. He's just an easy player to like. And I mean, we've talked about it before. He's going to go on the stage there in Mobile. His arms are going to be 32 and a half, 32 and three quarters. And people are going to, you know, lose their stuff. And oh, he can't be a tackle. And this guy is so good. He's so much fun to watch. If the Cowboys traded back, I absolutely think he would be on the radar as a possibility there. It's just, yeah, if you're the Cowboys trading back, if Sewell's gone, trading back is... Easily the next best, best option. And so it just comes down to, okay, is there a team, Denver or Chicago or San Francisco, New England, you know, Carolina? I don't know if they would trade with Washington, and, but can't rule anything out. Is there one of those teams that likes one of these quarterbacks enough that they would move up uh, to go get them? I think that's certainly possible. And if you're, if you're the Cowboys, you're hoping your phone rings because that's probably best case scenario. You've moved back, say they move back to nine or ten, You're still in range for one of these corners, Rashawn Slater, maybe Micah Parsons is available for you then. You feel better about drafting one of these pass rushers. I mean, the board really opens up for you. If you trade back, you get another draft pick, and you still are getting a quality player.
2: Yeah, and I think you got to watch the Miami Dolphins have a lot of draft picks because they get Houston's first-rounder and second-rounder, and the Texans just lost Bradley Roby. and. And uh, Will Fuller to a PED suspension for the rest of the year. So, if those losses start to uh, mount, you know Houston looks like it's kind of riding the ship. But if they, it turns on them, and that eleventh pick turns into you know nine or eight, then all of a sudden they might look to move up for a Jamar Chase to pair with with uh, with their guy and um, Tua, yeah, uh, and, and Tua. So that's something to consider. Uh, Patrick Sertan, you have at number five with the Chargers. And
1: you know It's the same conversation. Yeah, it's the same conversation with the Cowboys. Exactly. Like same one. Uh, they'd love Penesula to be there. I think, but he's not. And so, okay, what's the next best option? I, I would love for them to go Jamar Chase here. You know, I, I'd love for them to add add Chase to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Guyton the way he's been playing. Just you know, give Herbert all the weapons. But I have a hard time seeing them do that. But you know, in this in this mock, I went I went Sertan who. He's not going to run really well. He's probably going to run four fives, but he can press. He gets physical. He finds the football. So he's he's an easy player to like. Maybe not as easy player to just to fall in love with, but he's an easy player to like.
2: Yeah, I think I think there's no question about that. And it's something they have to address their back end. I mean they just they just are not good enough defensively uh, right now. You know, I think another sneaky pick could be looking at. Uh, Michael Parsons to stick there with Kenneth mm. Martin and say, "Look, we're going to have the fastest linebacking core in football. That'd You'll never outflank us, and we are just going to basically turn into a bunch of speed demons with our front seven. Your six pick in Carolina, I love it. It's Justin Fields to to Ohio State, uh, uh, of, of from Ohio State to Carolina. Um, how much do you love? Did did you when you thought about this? Did you try to pair? was he an easy pick there or did you have to think about him and Trey Lance when you were, and maybe even a, you know, a Mac Jones, which you know, it's not, not this early in a draft, I don't think, but we'll see. But with Joe Brady, because Joe Brady, I just wonder what you thought about Trey Lance with a guy like Joe Brady. If that ever crossed your mind at six or if Justin Fields was an easy, uh, it would be the easy pick for me, but Lance, who has, you know, reads mm-hmm. a full field. And, and I think they operate, North Dakota State operates with a little bit more on the quarterback shoulders. I thought that would be interesting with Joe uh, Brady, the offense coordinator from Carolina, and then Trey Lance. I mean, he brought along Joe Burrow as a quarterback right. and helped him get a lot better.
1: I'll be completely honest with you. I did not consider Joe Brady at all just because I, I think if you're the Panthers, can you really. Trust that Joe Brady's going to be there uh, that much longer. You know, I, I think if you are drafting a quarterback, obviously, you know, I, you know, you have to feel comfortable with him. But I think it's more about Matt Rule because, you know, you know, Matt Rule is going to be there. Brady, who I, I just I, I think he's he just keeps ascending, you know, and how much longer Uh, You know, maybe even this offseason, he'll be in the mix for some of these openings uh, around the league. So it really does make it difficult and a little tricky because I I think your your point is valid. When you have Brady in the mix, then that kind of makes things interesting because Trey Lance uh, and some of these other quarterbacks are appealing. But my thought process was more, okay, Matt Rule. The type, the type of guy, the type of competitor that he wants. Uh, I, I do think Trey Lance is, you know, that his teammates, his coaches, they call him the hardest worker on the team. I mean, there's there's a lot of things Matt Rule like in there, but I also think there's a lot of things that Rule's gonna love about Fields, no uh, doubt, no uh, doubt. Fields, and he's a great,
2: and he's a good leader too.
1: Absolutely, and I mentioned this before, but I loved how when the Big Ten canceled their season. Justin Fields never once even considered opting out. I mean, he started a petition. He wanted to play. He was practicing every day. Uh, I mean, Ryan Day talks about him just glowingly with the, the way he works, the confidence that he plays with. I do think that will appeal to Matt Rule quite a bit. And that's ultimately why I went that direction. Um, you know, just beside the fact that Fields is a good quarterback. Now, Fields, is he's a difficult prospect because... You know, the last time we saw him on the field was against Indiana, where he did struggle. Uh, You know, Indiana mixed up their looks from man and zone and uh, just the the different protections. The defense did a great job confusing fields. And it's important for fields to get back on the field to show, okay, I'm going to bounce back and be really strong from that. And we didn't get a chance to see him last weekend because of COVID. We don't know as of this taping uh, if they'll play this weekend against Michigan State. And then, you know, you got Michigan after that potential Big Ten championship game and then potential playoffs. But there's just a lot of unknown with Ohio State right now. And it's important for Fields to get back on the field so we can kind of see him bounce back from. And it wasn't it wasn't a terrible performance against Indiana. He had three touchdowns. He had over 300 yards passing. But those three picks, some of the mistakes that he made, very uncharacteristic. And it's just important for him to get back on the field and kind of right the ship a little bit.
2: No question. No question. And and you know what? It's also good to see how guys handle adversity. In-game adversity from game to game, whatever the case may be. So I think that's important. I think it's, I just think it's pretty obvious right now, and I haven't delved deep into the tape, but Fields definitely doesn't feel like he would get past pick number six when you consider the potential trade-ups that could mm-hmm. happen for quarterbacks. Now at seven, I just finished writing up Jamar Chase. And uh, you know, it's funny because his route running is nonchalant. Um he's not great off the press in terms of his suddenness and, and all that stuff. And then when you watch him just get down the field, his acceleration is elite. Mm -hmm. And his ability to just purely accelerate and open a passing window. And then his ball skills. Once the ball is in the air, it is, I mean, he is just a ballerina (laughs) in air. He he can track and come back to the ball. His high point is excellent. His vertical leap is is sensational. And I think, um, you know, ultimately for me, I love the pick here. It's a big, big need for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jamar Chase at LSU. But route running is something – I learned this the hard way with Tyreek Hill. That's why Tyreek had personal issues too, which I knocked him down for. But I was worried about Tyreek Hill's route running. I mean, oh, my gosh, how stupid is that? The bottom line is you can't teach ball skills. You can't teach speed. You can – I don't think you can teach ball skills. I mean, you can improve certain things, but the instincts to be a ball winner and playmaker, those – you're born with playmaker and ball winner. You're you're born with it. As, that's a mindset and a physical, athletic ability to to have that speed, the ability to run routes. Well, I mean that can be worked on, that can mm-hmm. be coached. So don't get too caught up in, you know, route running stuff. People made the mistake with, with DK Metcalf. I made the mistake with with Tyree Kill. Don't get caught up in route running stuff. That's what coaches are for.
1: Perfectly said. I'm going to read to you the last three lines of my report on Jamar Chase, because I think it's basically exactly what you just said. Uh, Chase is extremely talented after the catch with the ball in the air. Uh, exemplifying the my ball attitude to consistently win the catch point. He plays like a smaller Larry Fitzgerald uh, appears very natural with his route movements, but he needs to do a better job making every route look the same off the line of scrimmage. Overall chase creates separation with his gear changing acceleration. And he is an elite finisher with his physical ball skills, to p- displaying equal parts, competitive toughness and playmaking skills to be a number one NFL receiver. So, I mean, we, we see him exactly the same. Uh, it, And it's just, he, like I said before, him and Sewell are the two guys, to me, that I've really looked into so far. I mean, I've looked at most, almost all these guys, the top guys. They're the two that stand out as being legitimate top five, top 10 picks of the non-quarterbacks. And if the Eagles, which... It's crazy how the Eagles keep going back between picks 19 and 7 or 6, you know, just because of the NFC East <laughs> and how right. bizarre it is right now. But if they end up picking top 10, they're going to be in a situation where they need to get better uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, I don't think they're going to take a linebacker just because that's not what they do. Now, maybe they finally figure out, hey, we need to get more talent there, and they'll they'll, they'll take a first-round linebacker, but I'm not betting on it. So uh, on offense, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of struggled with this pick a little bit because Jamar Chase... That made a lot of sense, but who are the other possibilities? I mean, Kyle Pitts. I mean, maybe if Zach Ertz moves on next year, could they try to work a a, a, a Pitts in that situation where he's a tight end half the time, slot receiver half the time? I, I don't think you can completely rule that out. Uh, maybe it, it, you go offensive line here, possibly, but Jamar Chase just to me made too much sense.
2: Yeah, he uh, he makes a a ton of sense for what they need, and somebody's gonna have to try to rescue. Carson Wentz I mean I don't know if it's going to be a wide receiver if it's going to be probably getting the offensive line fixed or if they're going to have to start to look in a different direction because that's that's just really not good there right now quarterback and I just I can't believe what I'm seeing the regression but that's happened now Dwayne Haskins has never had a regression it's just he's not going to be Ron Rivera's guy I think that's obvious and at Washington you know your your next three picks: Washington, Detroit, and and Atlanta eight, nine, and ten. Um, I think you'll make all the fans very happy with who read your mock because they're exactly what they need. Trey Lance, young quarterback at at Washington. The Lions you have Micah Parsons, and they need a playmaking linebacker and in ten. Atlanta Falcons edge rusher and Gregory Rousseau. We know that uh, Tack McKinley was a huge disaster over there. They they just have been looking. They've drafted edge rush. They've drafted it, drafted it, and they haven't gotten it consistently. So I like what you did at 8, 9, and 10. Um, I want to ask you specifically, Trey Lance, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about Trey Lance. I want to skip Washington for one second and go to Micah Parsons. When I watch Micah Parsons, I saw a guy whose instincts I thought uh, sometimes could be a little hit or miss. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone as fast sideline to sideline at the linebacker position at that in size, my years yeah. of studying his position I don't and his body type and build reminded me of an even bigger uh Saquon Barkley he's got the same kind of legs and he's a former running back so I guess it yeah, it right. makes sense they like him a certain build but I mean it's really like watching a running back's foot agility and pure speed at linebacker
1: Yeah and I think that that is fair uh he's a guy that Especially in coverage, Uh, you know, you can tell he's just not completely comfortable there yet uh, with his spacing, uh, the anticipation. Uh, Now, the athleticism's there. I think you see a guy who is, he plays aware. He just, he's not ahead of the play. He's not a step ahead. He's more reactive than proactive. and. That's, I think, to be expected with a guy that never played linebacker in his life uh, until he got to Penn State, um, and he only had two years of it. So I think that's that's fair. Uh, But size, speed, strength, man, this guy is as as good as you uh, could find at at the linebacker position. One of the best pure talents in this class. Uh, It's just a matter of, okay, how much better can he get in terms of the read-react and the instincts? And then, you know, where do you take an off-ball linebacker? Um, you know, that's, you know, Luke Keekley going top 10 made sense. But, you know, I think there's even some debate with, you know, like uh, a couple years ago, uh, who'd the Bucks take number five? Um, Devin White. Oh, Devin White, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was that too early for a guy like that? I mean, it, it's debatable. So with the Micah Parsons, I think it'll be a similar conversation. Could he go five overall? Yeah, I think he'll be in that conversation. He's one of the best talents in this class but he's he's a little tougher to figure out finding that that perfect home for him. Um real quick, I want to backtrack to Washington. Okay, go ahead. N- Not not Trey Lance, but let's say Trey Lance goes 6 to Carolina. Justin Fields is there for Washington. Do you think they would hesitate at drafting an, an, another Ohio State quarterback just 2 years after they drafted uh Haskins? I know it's there's a lot of new faces in that in that building, uh you know, some new decision makers, new head coach but obviously the same owner. Do you think that they would balk at potentially adding uh, another Ohio State guy, or do you think they would focus on the individual and kind of look past the decal and the helmet?
2: Well, I think they would focus on the individual, but to act like a guy who came from the same system, Mm. making a lot of the same throws, to act like there wouldn't be some some subconscious things that could pop into their heads about those two quarterbacks – Um, I think that would be silly. I mean, clearly the uniform, the offensive scheme, the stats were very, very similar for their freshman seasons. And the big difference is Dwayne Haskins never had a second year. Um, you do have a second year for Justin Fields. So he has, he has improved in areas of his game this year. And he is going to be a little more worldly in terms of coming into the league and his experiences. I think ultimately you have to judge the person. You have to judge the, the football character, the poise, the things that you prioritize at the quarterback position. You have to just look at them individually. But could it – but could they – have people in the building who 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 just are swayed because of the potential similarities? Oh I mean it's possible. Oh it's absolutely um it's absolutely possible. And if that were the case, somebody else if if he were to make it if Justin Fields were to make it to 8, you would have to think there would be somebody who has some some eagerness to trade up. Maybe the Chicago mm-hmm. Bears, uh, yeah. wherever they end up, would have the... So it could still be a trade-back scenario. But I don't think that Fields will be hurt by Haskins' um, current level of production and success in the NFL. Whether you blame it on him, whether you blame it on Ron Rivera, no matter what you say, Washington may look at Dwayne Haskins and... Justin Fields some type of way because they came from the same offense. But I just I think they will look at them as individual talents when it's all said and done.
1: Yeah, and I hope they do because, yeah, they are they are different types of quarterback. Uh, they had different personalities, maturity levels, things like that. So but it, it is interesting to talk about uh, because that we could find ourselves in a scenario like that where, uh, you know, we have to have that conversation here uh, once the draft order becomes a little more official.
0: Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: Uh, But it will be interesting when, you know, the Bears, they're right now at five and six, I think, but they're trending towards a top 10 pick with the way that they're playing. I have them taking Rashawn Slater in this mock. You know, he's obviously their Northwestern programs uh, right there. Um, So a player that should be familiar with. I think he upgrades that offensive line immediately. I want to talk about the guy at number 15 because I struggled a little bit with where to put Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is one of the best talents in this class, just plain and simple. He is a, or he is a matchup nightmare one-on-one uh, with his athleticism, the size, the length. It's just – it is a – he's a cheat code. But trying to find the best spot for him – in this mock, was a little difficult. Like I considered him at number five to the Chargers. When you think about Hunter Henry playing on the fr- uh, franchise tag, he might be gone next year, uh, and maybe the way we've seen the Chargers use like a Donald Parham, you know, I, I, Kyle Pitts would be an obvious upgrade over in a situation like that. You know, Carolina, you can't rule out if they don't go quarterback. Philadelphia, I mentioned because Zach Ertz could be on his way out. Uh, Pitts could be, uh, you know, there's a lot of where you could see it fitting. But it's another thing to say, you know, this this organization's going to commit to a pass catching tight end this early because really we just don't see it. I mean, going back the last twenty years, we had okay, Vernon Davis went what what five overall, Eric Ebron went ten overall, but that's that's pretty much it. I mean, T.J. Hawkinson went top ten, but he was such a dominant run blocker. Why? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a true why. That's the difference. So the the, the the primary pass-catching tight ends, we just don't see them very often in the top 10 picks. So it, it was a little tough to figure out where he could potentially go. I have him following under 15 and uh, the New England Patriots. Do you think that's fair what I'm saying? Like, just get, it's kind of, tough to find a landing spot for a guy that's, it's so talented, but it's tough to find an organization that's really going to commit to a pass-catching tight end that early. I
2: think pass-catching tight ends are the ultimate wild card in every draft because yeah. because people, and here's why, I think too many teams make the mistake of looking at them as a pass-catching tight end and like, all right, well, how does he fit? How many reps is he going to be on the field? And, and it's not that's not really a mistake. I certainly understand it. But um, I think it's it's difficult to slot because when you say, okay, this guy's a tight end, now I'm going to work off the team's needs, and every time I get to a new team, I'm going to see if tight end is, is, a, is a need. Nope. Is tight end mm-hmm. a need? Nope. Is tight, and before you know it, you're at the back end of your draft like, oh, my gosh, I've had this guy fall. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you now, Kyle Pitts should be looked at as a receiver. I understand that he's a a move tight end and he's a pass-catching tight end, but you have to grade him as a receiver. And you have to ask yourself, is he better than Jamar Chase? Is he better than Jalen Waddell? Okay, no, no, if those are your two answers. Is he better than the next guy on the board? And if your answer is yes, then slot him where you need offensive weapons. That's how I look at it. And because one thing that we've seen is – Pass-catching tight ends, just like in fa- – I'll give you an example. In fantasy football, right, the tight ends. Well, you've got – every year you've got like five different tight ends that are really dangerous in, in fantasy football in the NFL. And then mm-hmm. after that, it's a huge drop-off. The tier drops off. Well, those are huge advantages for the owners who draft those players because they've got a guy who is elite at that position from a production standpoint, and, the, and everyone else takes a big drop to tier two and tier three. It's the same thing in actual football, too. When you have a guy who makes that many plays... Who has size matchup for one position like safety or a speed matchup for a linebacker? When when Pitts is on the field, you're going to have to stay in a nickel the entire time. You don't have a chance, and that's going to help your your running game uh, in, to an extent with the personnel groupings because Pitts is such a dominant pass catcher. And I think he has a chance to give you the same type of production as you know as a as a wide receiver too. I think he's got that type of production talent where he could hit the double digit. I don't I, I don't think it's crazy to think he could end up with nine to twelve touchdowns um, mm-hmm. by by his second year in the league. So when I look at it, Dane, I'm looking at teams who you know, I'll give you an example. What about Miami at eleven? Now I know they have Jasicki who is not uh, a great blocker either. So this would right. you have to kind of you have to work with me on this, but we're talking about Brian Flores and Chris Greer who come from which team's background?
1: Yeah, uh in New England, yeah.
2: So the New England model has always been now they typically like to find a why it was Gronk, mm-hmm. but they they worked on this two tight end thing before they had Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. They had already been working it was Garrett Mills and somebody else uh like David Sloan or whoever. They they've been working on this two tight end thing. Bill Bill Belichick recognized the value in that. If you have if you have Ysiki and and Pitts out there in, the, in your in your four wide set in your four wide sets along with Preston and Devontae Parker, I mean, my gosh, I'm not sure how you're going to guard that kind of size in a slot. I'm just, yeah, or if yeah. you if you split one of them out like Pitts, you split him out. Well, who are you guarding him with when he's out at a Z spot? And you know wh- what are you doing? Who who's going to guard him? Are you are you putting a corner on him? Are you going to you know, do you have to have how many corners do you have, and how many safeties? Hmm. And then does that make the box so light that they can sit there and and block on the edges with, against uh, safeties? Do, does Gesicki and, and Pitts get a block smaller guys, and they run at you out of out of uh, their their two tight end set because their two tight end set is a four wide receiver set? Right,
1: right. So no, I'm just
2: throwing it, some uh, some different ways that teams can think outside the box at using a guy like Pitts to to create matchups.
1: It, you know, and I think that's it's a great point because uh, and you can't rule it out. I think that's what you said is basically my point because uh, you know, it, a team like Miami, because you look at Miami, they don't have a need at tight end with Kaseki. They Adam, they just signed Adam Shaheen to a little mini extension. Uh, the, the, the former Notre Dame tight end they like a lot. Uh, so I, you know, on the surface, they don't have a need at tight end, but. If you have a chance, if you are sitting there at, say, pick 11 and this talent is just falling into your laps, some of these teams will say, well, at this point, he's the best player available. We'll figure out a way to use him. We'll figure out a way where he can win matchups uh, or, you know, he can help our offense. So it, it does make for an interesting uh, dynamic. Because it, And it, back to your point about the top tight ends in the league and there being a drop off. I mean, if you rank the top 10 tight ends in the NFL how many were first round picks I'm not sure any of them I mean Kittle was a fifth rounder Kelsey was a third Mark Andrews was a third Waller was uh later on the draft he was a
2: big yeah and Waller was a big wide receiver right exactly
1: Gronkowski was a second rounder I mean there's not a lot of guys you can point to that were first rounders that ended that are currently top five top seven maybe even top ten tight ends in a league so it it, it is a really interesting dynamic with Pitts because he's he's going to force teams to evaluate their situation, not only their depth chart at tight end, but thinking outside the box a little bit and, okay, can we use him in the slot? How can we incorporate him in this offense where he, he's going to help us you know, put stress on the defense? So it, it really is an interesting prospect and an interesting look and examination of where he could possibly fit.
2: Yeah, and I you know, it just wouldn't shock me if he didn't get it get past Chicago at currently sitting at fourteen. I mean, they need playmakers in the worst way. The Detroit Lions could look at saying, All right, you know what we're gonna do? We got a good running back of the future in DeAndre Swift. We got a wide tight end on Hawkinson mm-hmm. who's come on a little bit. Let's go throw that playmaking tight end, that 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 that, that big slot out there in pits and let's give some teams some different looks with our two tight end sets and you know that's a way that that they could look at it too so and remember detroit new general manager atlanta new general manager we'll see what direction those teams going will will ryan pace be safe in chicago if things keep going sideways i think that's you know worth the conversation right now um You've got cornerback JC Horn to San Francisco. That's that's definitely a need. But why don't you talk about your Raiders pick at number 17 because this is a team that has slowly been, well, not even slowly. They've been building on the defensive side of the ball and this pick is just another in a line of selections that are being made to really turn the Raiders defense into uh the next big thing, I think. And and, and this would this would be one of those selections.
1: Yeah, I went with uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the linebacker from Notre Dame, who's you know a little bit in that Isaiah Simmons category, where he's a big safety, a little bit of an undersized linebacker, uh, that hybrid type with the athleticism to do everything you want. Uh, he can blitz, he can string out runs, he can drop in coverage, um, and I mean legit drop in coverage, not just cover backs and tight ends. He could line up in the slot and not hurt you out there. So there's a lot to like about uh, Owusu Koromoa and just his versatility, the athleticism. And you're right, when you look at the Raiders... They've invested a lot of picks, uh, especially, you know, once Mike Mayock came in, a guy like Cleveland Farrell, uh, high in the draft, uh, you know, Jonathan Abram at safety, um, you know, last year with Damon Arnett and not all those picks have worked out, but you know, they still need some more speed on that side of the ball. Uh, And I think adding a guy like Wusu Koromoa, who's got the versatility, he's got the athleticism. That would be, I I think uh, what kind of what they're looking for, a a playmaker uh, on that side of the ball. And, I want to talk to you about the next guy. Uh, they had on. Uh, in uh, his I can't
2: believe you're on this guy. Every, the offensive line community is all over this guy. And so I should have known it because you, you're a guy who I always trust when it comes to O-line evaluations, because you do the work, you put the time in, and this was a second round player last year. And you're talking about Elijah Vera Tucker uh, from, from USC. Now you've got him listed at guard. I think he's a guard too, but what has made him a really interesting study is that this big broad guard with good feet and athleticism um, ha- has been moved out out of need. They've moved him out to left tackle. And I'm telling you what, he's playing his really tape, well. His tackle tape has been really, really good up to this point. Yeah,
1: It, it really, ha- I mean, it's been impressive. I mean, they, they had to replace Austin Jackson, who was a first round pick last year. And so they kick him outside and, he looks natural. I mean, you see the balance. You see his ability to stay centered on his blocks. I've been so impressed with him, and I I think he's still a guard prospect, but knowing that he can do that, it just ups his value, uh, the versatility that he brings. You look at a team like the Ravens, which is where I have uh, Vera Tucker slotted to, a team that needs help on the interior of their offensive line, but they could also use uh, tackle depth. Uh, We, you know, Right now, Ronnie Stanley's hurt. Uh, you know, Orlando Brown, he's going to have a contract coming up here soon. Uh, having a guy like Vera Tucker who can help you out at guard, help you out on in the interior, but also kick out the tackle if you really needed him to, that is a value to have on, on that uh, on that offensive line. So, yeah, Vera Tucker, he's, he's what, I think the third offensive lineman? Yeah, Sewell, uh, Slater, and then Vera Tucker, the three offensive linemen uh, in this draft to go top 20. Uh, he's just a really quality player that I don't think he's going to have to wait very long to hear his name called.
2: All right, I'm going to move this along a little bit because we're going to go through all your mock drafts every time they're out. Devontae Smith, we're going to talk a lot about. you got him to the Giants. Aziz uh, Ojalary from the edge from Georgia to the Arizona Cardinals. Tampa Bay with a fast riser and Joseph Asai off the edge. He's really uh, come on strong. But tell me a little bit about Zaven Collins. I don't know him as well. The linebacker from Tulsa. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Miami's second pick in the first round and Zaven Collins out of Tulsa.
1: If Zach Wilson, the quarterback at a BYU, is the biggest riser on the offensive side of the ball this year, I think Zaven Collins is the biggest riser on the defensive side. I mean, the, he. someone tipped me off to him uh, back probably early October as a guy that, okay, take a look at this guy. Scouts are starting to buzz about him. He's 6'3", 260. I mean, he has old school linebacker build, but he moves like a new age linebacker. He's fluid. He's fast. He can cover. Um, and he, not only are the traits there. But the production has been outstanding, and not just the production. He's not just piling up tackle numbers, even though he does lead Tulsa uh, with uh, 48 tackles. Uh, he's making impact plays. He's got four interceptions. A couple of those are pick sixes. Um, you know, he's just making big plays, impact plays, where right time, uh, right place kind of guy, not by accident. I, he'd be a perfect fit uh, with what Brian Flores is doing in Miami. I don't know that he's necessarily a, a top need But he just would be a perfect fit as a guy that can rush. He can play off the ball. He can just do a little bit of everything. Uh, Would love to see that fit. And Zayvon Collins, you know, when I started mapping out this mock draft a couple weeks ago, uh, just kind of, you know, putting thought into it and thinking about where I was going to do it. I'm like, you know what? Zayvon Collins, he's a first round pick. And a couple weeks ago, that felt like I was maybe ahead of the curve. Now it seems like, I mean, he's he's gonna go first round because he just the traits are there, the production is there. Uh, He's an ascending player who is just a a really talented guy.
2: Now, listen, I'm not gonna give you guys all these picks because you guys have to go to the Athletic and go check out Dane's article. You don't just get a freebie right here with every pick. You got to go out (laughs) there and subscribe and actually get get Dane's work. Okay, I will. Can we talk
1: about one more guy though? Let me uh, let
2: me guess. Let me guess who um, is he? In number twenty-eight, top, top thirty. Okay, then you're going to talk about Landon Dickerson. I bet.
1: Yeah, who you and I traded? I mean, text. Sorry, you got him so uh, that, low. He's going way higher than this.
2: <laughs> He's an it, animal. You think Landon Dickerson is an animal?
1: Yeah, he is. It, it, I, honestly, the only thing that's really could hurt him is the durability. You know, first three yes. years of Florida State. He, he couldn't finish the season. He he played That's no more point. than a, yeah. like four games in a season the first three years. But he's played every game for Alabama the last two years. Uh, talking about the, the offensive uh, line flexibility, guard center, Landon Dickerson has legit center guard flexibility. I, I think he is a better guard, but he's been playing center at a high level for Alabama, so you know he can do it. Uh, he's just – when you really break him down, you just kind of run out of reasons why he shouldn't be a first-round pick. You're like, okay – he's smart he's tough he's competitive he's got an edge to him he's got enough quickness he's not explosive per se but he's he's quick he can get the job done you just run out of reasons why he cannot be or he shouldn't be a first round pick so um you're, I, I don't know that any other mock out there has Landon Dickerson in their first round but i bet you mine will not be the last that, that has that uh no, has him in there
2: my first mock will have him in the first round i mean he's it's hard to find anyone that's He's wide, he's athletic, he's got position flexibility, Uh, his technique is good, he's strong. I mean, there's a lot to like about him. Yeah, I do need to check on some of the the physical stuff and and check on that. But, yeah, Landon Dickerson – 100% 100% should be in the first round. Um, and I would have Etienne in there as well. You've got him at, at 32 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, I think. And, and there's another quarterback in the first round. That's all I'm going to say. You guys have to go and check and, and see who it is if you're a fan of a, a quarterback-heavy team. But uh, good first effort here. I like I like what you got. There's a couple players that I don't know that I'm going to have them in the first, uh, a tackle or two. But tackles get pushed up. You've got a good rush on quarterbacks and uh i think people are really um i think people are really going to like this first effort because you plugged in a lot of holes that needed to be plugged for a lot of these teams and that's usually what fans like out of that first mock
1: well hopefully people will go on the athletic check it out um leave a comment in the comment section hit me up on twitter let's talk about it tell me what you agree with what you don't agree with Uh, But no, this was a great discussion. So Lance, as always, thank you. That'll do it for this week's Prospects to Pros. Lance is at Lance Zerline on Twitter. I'm at DP Brugler. Please subscribe, rate, comment. We really appreciate it. We will talk to you next week.